Walk with Jesus, Class 6, Thursday of Holy Week. Finally, the day of Passover. Jesus offers them the wine and the bread and declares a new covenant with God. Then, on the way to the Mount of Olives, he tells Peter that he will deny Jesus three times. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus prays for deliverance while Peter, James, and John fall asleep. Jesus is at first terribly disappointed in them, and then suddenly he seems resigned, as if it doesn't really matter anymore. Judas arrives with an armed group, and Jesus is arrested. Peter is left alone as all the others run away. Everyone is angry at first, even Jesus, but Jesus seems resigned to it as it unfolds. Let it be like this then, he says. But Peter is filled with confusion and anger. Mark 14, 12 through 21, the Passover with the disciples. When Passover came, on the first day of the feast when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, we asked Jesus, where should we prepare to celebrate the Passover? Jesus chose two of us, saying, Go into Jerusalem, and you will see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him, and when he enters a house, go in and say to the owner of that house, My teacher wants to know if there is a room that we might all gather to celebrate the Passover together. He will lead you to a large upstairs room that is already furnished and ready. You can prepare everything there. So they did, as Jesus had instructed, found the man and the room, and prepared the meal there. When the sun had set and Passover begun, Jesus came with all of us to eat the meal. We took our places at the table, and while we were eating, Jesus said, I tell you most truly, one of you, sitting here at this table and eating this food with me, will betray me. This really upset everyone. They all began to argue, Oh, Master, not I, not I. But he told us again, Yes, one of you, my trusted twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go to his death as I have predicted, as it was written in Scripture. But cursed is the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He will wish he had never been born. Mark 14, 20-25 the institution of the Lord's Supper. Then, while we were eating the meal, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and holding it up before us, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to us. This is my body, he said. Take it. Then he took a cup, held it up before us and blessed it and passed it around so that all of us drank from it. He said to us, This is my blood, poured out for you who are here, and for many yet to come. It is given as a covenant between God and you. I will not drink wine with you again until I drink it in a new place in the kingdom of God. Mark 14, 26-31, Peter's denial foretold. Then he led us in a hymn, and when we had finished, we walked out to the Mount of Olives, as we walked, Jesus said to us, Though you follow me now, you will all soon desert me. Remember, where it is written in Scripture, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will all be scattered. Do not fear, however, for I will be going before you to Galilee. 
as soon as I am raised up. I couldn't bear any more of this sad talk. I said, even if everyone else runs away, I will stay with you. I will not leave you. Jesus stopped and looked me square in the face and said, Peter, hear me carefully. You will do more than desert me. You will deny me three times before the cock crows twice. I boldly said, even if I had to die with you, I would be at your side and never deny you. Then everyone else started saying the same thing. Mark 14, 32 through 42, Jesus prays in Gethsemane. We passed over the Mount of Olives and came to the place called Gethsemane. Jesus told the others to stay here while I go up ahead and pray. Then he took me and James and John again and walked away from the others. Now, Jesus was really upset, and you could see the stress on his face and in his voice as he said, This is so hard for me. I am filled with grief and the fear of death. Please stay right here and keep a close watch for me. Then, walking on a bit, he fell on the ground and prayed for God to deliver him from that night and that hour. He said, Dearest Father, you can do anything you wish. Please take this cup from my lips. Please. But it is not about what I want. It's about what you want. Bend me to your will, Lord. I don't know what he said after that. A little while later, he was talking to me as I was waking up. Simon, are you asleep? Didn't I ask you to keep watch? It is less than an hour and you are sound asleep. Be vigilant, my brother, and pray with me that what is coming to me will not also come to you. Your spirit is willing, but your body is weaker. So Jesus went back and prayed the same prayer again. But we were so tired, we all fell asleep again. When he woke us up the second time, we had no excuses. We were just numb. Then when he woke us up the third time, well, he was changed. Still sleeping, he asked. Okay, it is time to be going. My betrayer has come at last, and I will be put into the hands of the wicked. See, they are coming for me now. Let's not let them catch us by surprise. Get up, get up. Mark 14, 43 through 52. The betrayal and arrest of Jesus. We clambered to our feet just as Judas arrived. He was one of us twelve, but he was with a different crowd now, and they carried clubs and swords. These were the hitmen from the chief priests and the elders. Judas ran right up to Jesus and embraced him like an old friend, and then kissed him and called him, My Rabbi. This was the sign he had given the mob. You will know who to arrest and take to the chief priests, because you will see me kiss him. So immediately they fell upon Jesus and arrested him. Some of us, I don't remember who, took out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest upside the head, cutting off his ear. Jesus said to the mob, Day after day, I have seen you in the temple when I was teaching. You could have arrested me there in broad daylight. It would have been easier. But instead, you come for me in the middle of the night with clubs and swords, like I am some violent criminal who needs to be taken by surprise. Ah, <sighs> well, 
Let it be like this then, so the scriptures are fulfilled. I was so angry I wanted to do something, but when I looked around, I saw that I was the only one left. All the others had run away. There was even one who was running away naked. He was wearing a linen cloth earlier, but in escaping, someone had snatched it off of him. Gospels. Matthew is again nearly identical to Mark, with minor exceptions. But Matthew adds the words, for the forgiveness of sins, after covenant, during communion. Luke is similar to Mark and does not mention forgiveness of sins. When Jesus notes one will betray him, they don't deny it. They just argue about it, who it might be. Then Luke inserts a conversation about which disciple is the greatest. Jesus then confers authority on Peter to look after the others. And Jesus tells him that before the cock crows, he will deny Jesus three times. Jesus then asks them to buy swords. John begins the Passover with Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. John then tells the same story, just in his markedly different style. In John 13, 34, Jesus adds the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This gives Monday Thursday its title, Monday, which means mandate or command. Then he adds his version of Jesus predicting Peter's denial. Our sanctified version of the disciples' Passover is a somber affair. Many churches present their passion plays on Monday, Thursday, recounting in very solemn terms the small bits of dialogue the scripture presents here. Let me encourage you to rethink that and possibly set a new idea into your dinner scene. Passover is a big event in the life of the Hebrew people. It is so big that Exodus instructs them to literally count their days from this time, meaning to restart your calendars because life for you begins with your deliverance from bondage in Egypt. If you have never experienced a Passover feast, it is hard to understand how wondrous, joyous, silly, loving, and inebriated the people can be around this meal. Think of Thanksgiving with more wine. Children are included. In fact, they are actually essential and have speaking parts, and games are played with prizes. The story of the Exodus is recounted, and often the whole book of Exodus will be read. Ceremonial foods are eaten. Many glasses of wine are poured and re-poured, and often refilled between the ceremonial glasses. Overlay your best and worst understandings and recollections of big family dinners onto this biblical feast. Now, let's rethink this. First, Jesus would not have held a meal just for men. Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper is certainly pious, but not likely. Why? Well, it wouldn't have been Passover. This is a family event. Everyone is invited. Women would have been involved in the food preparation. Children would have been present too. 
People who were close family to Jesus would have been present, but nothing is made of that, probably because what Peter recalls most vividly were the events after dinner, where all this conversation takes place. So, perhaps the children and the women have gone back to bed and the men are alone and hanging out. But the dinner would have been a big deal with lots of folk. Second, the events of the Gospels are thought to be complete from beginning to end, from I have desired to we walked out to the Mount of Olives. But that's not a big meal event. You can't even eat a taco in that sort of time. So I imagine this traveling group of friends having lots of conversations about places they have been, things they have done since last Passover. The room would have been filled with lots of affection and warmth. When Jesus looks at these people, he is filled with love and appreciation for all they have done to support him through these difficult times. Third, it is against that background, that profound emotion and deep love, that Jesus shares his knowledge that one of them will betray him. Now, hear this clearly. He is saying, I know who you are, but I am not going to tell the others who you are. They will have to guess that on their own. But I know. It is just as painful for Jesus to share this as it is for Judas to hear it right now. Fourth, the Last Supper concludes with what we now call Holy Communion. The story Peter tells is not about forgiveness of sins. It is about the covenant between God and people. This is the covenant of Abraham. I will be your God and you will be my people. It is as if Jesus was saying, Israel has forgotten how to be the people of God. That is why I have come and why I will die, that you may know you are God's people. This is both who you are and whose you are. Fifth, when the group adjourns to the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane so Jesus can pray, they historically look with a sense of condemnation at Peter, James, and John, and everyone else, really, for falling asleep when Jesus asked them to stay awake and pray. But there are three factors working against this. They just ate a huge meal at the end of a long several days. Anyone would relish a nap after that. They also just consumed copious amounts of wine after a big meal and walked up the Mount of Olives. It is late now, approaching, quote, midnight on Olive's brow, unquote. And normally they would have all been asleep by now anyway. Have some pity on these guys. They are pawns in the middle of a grand chessboard. Pieces are moving and about to move even faster still. What has been a grand evening of fun, family, feasting, and friendship is about to be shattered like a billiard break. Judas's kiss sends all the disciples running for safety like colored balls, seeking a friendly pocket on a sea of green felt. Only Peter is left to watch the last pieces fall. Only Peter can tell us what will happen in the next day. An evening that began with a big, joyous family celebration ends with everyone scattering in fear, betrayal, and confusion.
fortune. In the middle of May 2015, I attended a special presentation for clergy at DreamWorks in Burbank. We screened some upcoming movie bits and listened to producers and directors talk about what they do and how they make it happen. Tim Johnson, who directed Home and was executive producer for How to Train Your Dragon, was the keynote speaker. He talked about Aristotle and the art of storytelling, Joseph Campbell and the power of myth, and the hero's journey. All good stuff. I still have my notes. But what really drove the afternoon was when he started to talk about the role of reversal of fortune. He showed a film clip from How to Train Your Dragon. It was a 90-second clip. He invited us to count how many times the fortunes of the protagonist were reversed. I think we counted about 9 or 10, and the correct answer was 13. His point was that a good story has this tension built into it, a repeating wave of rising and falling fortune. This tension keeps the audience involved in the story. Too much defeat, or even too much success, is dull and boring. Think of Holy Week. Holy Week has that tension and builds each day. Sunday's triumphal entry, followed by a locked gate at the temple. Monday's encounter with the money changers and the merchants, which got no response from the priests. Tuesday's spectacular encounter with the scribes, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, a huge victory, followed by a long discussion of death and the end of time. Wednesday's relaxing anointing, followed by a quarrel over money and gift-giving. Thursday's warm and fun family Passover meal and the renewal of God's covenant, tainted by a prediction of betrayal, sleepy followers, and Jesus' arrest as the disciples all flee in fear. Friday, we know, will be worse. Jesus doesn't seem too bitter about these disappointments nor does he go crazy over the victories. Rudyard Kipling captures it perfectly in his classic poem to his son, If. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. Jesus has been the leader, guide, inspiration, rabbi, literally everything for this mixed group of men for three years. They have endured storms on the seas, angry villagers, mocking unbelievers, desperate parents, adulterers, attacks by the Pharisees and the priests, and they have stayed together. Now Jesus senses the fabric is fraying, and there is one who is betraying. So he reminds them who they are and whose they are. They are God's children. But Jesus picks a unique way and a unique moment to remind them who they are. We all eat food often sitting down at the end of the day with family or friends to break bread. Communion literally means common meal. Jesus uses the common meal to remind them that they are in constant covenant with God. It says, Then while we were eating the meal, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and holding it up before us, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to us. This is my body, he said. Take it. Then he took a cup, held it up before us, and blessed it and passed it around so that all of us drank from it. He said to us, This is my blood, poured out for you who are here and for many yet to come. 
It is given as a covenant between God and you. He knows that he must leave them, but he reminds them the covenant still exists. And it is a reminder whenever they break bread or drink wine that God is present all through their life. Everything hinges on this. You cannot love like Jesus loves unless you know you are beloved of God. You cannot share the love of Jesus with another unless you know you are beloved of God. You cannot forgive those who have wronged you unless you know you are beloved of God. We would all like to think that being a follower of Jesus would make us strong, that we would always do the right thing, that we would never go back to the ways of the world. But the temptations to stray are always there. And sometimes we have a hard time ignoring them. After living through the horrors of the Nazi concentration camps, Corrie Ten Boom became a world-famous evangelist and author. In her book, The Hiding Place, she shares a story about an encounter she had after the war with one of her prison guards. It was a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming, and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blomendal, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so, I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the commandment, the love itself. This is the covenant, God's love manifest in Jesus, so it can be manifest in us. We may experience reversals of fortune, victories and defeats, but we cannot ever be truly defeated. Jesus gives them that gift, a reminder in this meal whose they are. It is a gift still given 
for all who share this meal with Christ. Jesus tells Peter that he will betray him tonight. How do you think Peter feels having Jesus show so little faith in him? 2. Have you ever made a bold promise and had someone reject your promise? How did that feel? 3. Jesus asked for something God did not grant. Have you ever prayed to God and had God refuse to grant your prayer? How does that make you feel? 4. Sometimes bad things are unavoidable. What bad things happened to you that were unavoidable? How did you handle them? 5. Looking back at the days of your week, how often have your fortunes reversed? How did you handle that? compassionate God, it is far too easy to find myself in the midst of today's actions. I would have loved the party. I would have objected to the betrayal pronouncement. I would surely have fallen asleep with the disciples. I would have run for the hills when the mob arrested Jesus. I am so ashamed. Remind me, Lord that I am your child, that my covenant with you is now and forever. Whenever I break bread, I am in covenant with you, a fortune that can never be reversed. Mm -hmm.